The last time we were looking at God's good word, we discovered that Christians do sin, and Satan has a great time when Christians sin. In our last study, we were looking at Zechariah chapter 3, the fourth of Satan's insidious devices for tripping up the saints. And here in Zechariah chapter 3, we discover that he is not working on earth so much as in heaven. Now, Satan has access to heaven. He is the accuser of the brethren. Now, when the devil talks to me about God, he lies. But when the devil talks to God about me, he can tell the truth. I've sinned against the Lord. Christians do sin. A Christian is not someone who is sinless. He is someone who does sinless. Before I became a Christian, it was the normal thing for me to sin and the unusual thing for me to do good. Since I've been saved, the normal thing for me is to want to do good. The unusual thing is for me to sin. Now, we Christians sin without even realizing it. David prayed, cleanse thou me from secret faults. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me, is what the psalmist prayed. And you and I sin without realizing it. Now, in Zechariah chapter 3, the prophet had a vision of the high priest, Joshua, standing before God in dirty garments. The high priest was never to wear filthy garments. He was always to wear clean, glorious garments. But he had sinned, and the nation had sinned. The high priest, you will recall, represented the nation before God. Back in the Old Testament, the individual Jews had to come to God through that tabernacle, through the priest, we today, thank God, come to him through our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Christians do sin. We're like Joshua. There are times when we've lied or we've lusted or we've hurt somebody. And you know, the instant thing for us to do is to confess it immediately. If we've sinned against someone, go apologize immediately. Why is it that we Christians allow sin to accumulate why is it that we allow sin just to work in our hearts and we get more and more backslidden, more and more in trouble? Well, we shouldn't do that. The instant we sin, we ought to come and confess it. Now, when we sin, the devil goes to work. He goes to God and says, you see that preacher down there? You see that fellow who's pastoring that church? He sinned. What are you going to do about it? You're a holy God. A holy God can't permit someone to sin. He's one of your children. You better do something about that. Now, I'm glad that God is long-suffering and patient to usward. I'm glad the psalmist says he hath not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. That doesn't mean that God doesn't spank us when we sin because he does. Hebrews chapter 12 makes it very clear that God in his chastening loves us. No, the psalmist when he said this, he hath not dealt with us after our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities didn't mean that God overlooks our sin. It simply means God doesn't treat us the way we deserve. That's the difference between grace and mercy. God in his grace gives me what I don't deserve, and God in his mercy doesn't give me what I do deserve. If God gave me what I deserved, he'd have to put me in a thousand hells. But he doesn't do that. I'm his child. Now, what happens when a Christian sins? Well, some people say when a Christian sins, he loses his salvation. That's not true. Keep your finger in Zechariah chapter 3, but turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Notice the word fellowship. 
In the first two chapters of John's little letter, the word fellowship is found many times, not the word sonship. You see, when a person is born again, he becomes a child of God. He is born into God's family, born into God's kingdom. He cannot be unborn. What does sin do to the Christian? Sin does not rob him of sonship. Sin robs him of fellowship. That's the difference in the Bible between justification and sanctification. Justification is the gracious act of God whereby he, God, declares a believing sinner to be righteous in Jesus Christ. That never changes. Sanctification is our position in Christ. Sanctification changes from day to day because there are some times when I'm closer to him than at other times. Now, once a person is born again, that takes care of sonship, but fellowship is quite something else. It says in verse 3, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, verse 7 of 1 John 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You see, if I sin against the Lord and say, well, I didn't sin, I break the fellowship. Sin breaks the fellowship. It's just like sometimes a child disobeys the father, and he doesn't cease to be a child. He doesn't cease being his father's son, but the fellowship is broken, and that fellowship cannot be restored until there is honest confession and forgiveness. Now, verse 9 tells us this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 1 of chapter 2, and this, this is where Zechariah 3 comes in. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. This is not an open door for sin. Anybody who says, oh, I'm a Christian, therefore I can go out and live the way I please and then come and ask God to forgive me, uh, is not either born again or doesn't understand the word of God. You know, when, when a person receives Christ and is born again and he has God's life in his heart, he doesn't want to sin. This new nature down inside just works in his life and he doesn't want to sin. He wants to do what's right. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin. Now those who say we can live perfect lives ought to read that verse. John says if any man sin, we have to be saved all over again. No. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. An advocate. Now, the word advocate is the old-fashioned word for a lawyer. An advocate was one who represented a party at court. Now, let's go back to Zechariah chapter 3. There's a court scene. God the judge is sitting on the throne. And Satan, the prosecuting attorney, is standing there accusing. So there's the judge, and there's the accuser, and there's the guilty party, Joshua. He sinned. Now, what's Joshua going to do? Satan's right. Satan says, God, you're a holy God, and he has sinned. You better judge him. But there stands one who is the advocate. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is one reason why Jesus is up in heaven. He is my advocate when I sin. And when I sin, I come to my lawyer, my heavenly advocate, and I say, I have sinned. I confess my sin. And he stands before God and he says, Father, this child has sinned, but here are the wounds in my hands. Here are the wounds in my feet. Here is the wound in my side. I died for him. His sin has been paid for. And he's asked forgiveness. 
and I forgive him. Now, please don't get the idea that God the Father is, is sitting up in heaven just anxious to smite me down. No, that's not true at all. The reason Jesus Christ is the advocate is because he is the propitiation. That's a big word in verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins. What does the word propitiation mean? Well, it means this. My God up in heaven, my Father, is holy. A holy God cannot stand sin. Something has to be done that my holy, righteous Father can forgive sin. Well, what was done? Jesus died. The death of Jesus Christ was the propitiation. That is, it satisfied the holiness of God. You see, this is the problem God faced in saving people. It's a problem to us, of course, it wasn't to him. Paul says he has to be just as well as the justifier of those that believe. How can a holy and just God forgive sin? Now, you and I forgive sins because we're so sinful. I mean, somebody sins against us and we say, well, we'll forgive you for that because we've sinned ourselves. How can God who has never sinned forgive people? Doesn't a holy God punish sin? Well, Jesus Christ went to the cross and bore that punishment, and he is the propitiation. That is, he is the sacrifice that satisfies the holiness of God. Therefore, when Satan accuses us, God can say, Satan, my holiness has been satisfied. My justice has been satisfied. That sin has been paid for. I forgive my sinning child. This is the meaning of Jesus Christ, the advocate. You see, I need Jesus Christ up in heaven. He's my advocate when I sin, and he's my high priest for my weaknesses. I have so many weaknesses. I'm so ignorant. I stumble. I fall. But I have a high priest up in heaven who takes care of my weaknesses and my failings. I have an advocate up in heaven who takes care of me when I sin. Now back in Zechariah chapter 3, Satan the accuser accused Joshua of his sin, trying to get him under the indictment of God's law. But Jesus Christ, the advocate, stands up and he says, Take away those filthy garments. I died for his sin, and therefore he is forgiven. Now, all of this ties in so beautifully to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. May I read it to you? Some of you dear Christians listening to me have sinned. You've resigned your Sunday school class. You've quit going to church. Maybe there's some preacher listening to me right now, and the devil's tripped you up, and you say, I'm going to resign. Don't do it. Oh, how Satan loves to cripple Christians with sin. Now listen to me. All of us have sinned. You go through your Bible, and you'll discover every child of God that God ever used fell into sin. Abraham lied about his wife. Moses murdered a man, and Moses lost his temper in front of the congregation one day. David committed adultery. Every one of God's servants somewhere along the line has sinned. Now, this is not an excuse for our sin, but rather it's an encouragement to us that God can forgive us and restore us. He forgave Peter and restored him. He forgave Jonah and restored him. It's true they had to pay for their sins, no question about this. We do have results from sin. God in his grace can forgive us, but God in his government cannot stop the consequences. But listen, don't put yourself on the shelf. Don't quit serving the Lord simply because you've sinned. Because God will forgive you. Now look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, 
Who can be against us? Look, friend, God is not against you. He's for you. The devil wants you to believe God's against you, but he's not. God is for you all throughout Romans chapter 8. In verse 26, the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. Verse 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who's going to lay any charge? Who's going to come to court with any accusation? It is God that justifieth. And that justification will never change. Once he declares that you are righteous, nothing can change that. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. There's that phrase again. Back in verse 26, the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us. In verse 34, the Lord Jesus Christ is making intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He goes on to list these things, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no separation. Look, confess that sin to the Lord. Claim his forgiveness. Get back to work for him. Don't let Satan trip you up. Our good word today is going to wrap up what we've been talking about for the past several weeks. Now, we've been on a little detour. The people at Calvary Baptist Church where I preach are accustomed to these detours because I want to give to them all the counsel of God. We have been standing on 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. We've been talking about the devices of the devil. We've been trying to understand from the Bible what the devil does to try to trip up God's people. We've learned that in the Old Testament there are four photographs of Satan at work. In chapter 3 of Genesis, he attacked Eve. His weapon, lies. His target, her mind. His purpose, to make her ignorant of God's will. Our defense, the inspired word of God. In Job 1 and 2, he attacked Job. He attacked his body. His target was the body. He made Job sick. His weapon, suffering. His purpose, to make Job impatient with God's will. Our weapon, the imparted grace of God. My grace is sufficient for thee. In 1 Chronicles 21, he attacked David. His target, David's will. His weapon, pride. David, you're somebody important. Go ahead and disobey God. His purpose, to make him independent of God's will. What is our weapon? The indwelling Spirit of God. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Those are his three devices on earth. In our last lesson, we discovered he has a very insidious device he uses up in heaven. Zechariah chapter 3, Joshua the high priest. His target the heart, the conscience, his weapon, accusation. He accuses us in our hearts and before God of our sins. His purpose, to bring an indictment by God's will. It's a law court, and he wants God to judge us for our sins. What is our weapon, our defense, the interceding 
Son of God. My little children, says 1 John chapter 2, these things write I unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, dear people, confessing sin doesn't mean admitting sin. There's a big difference between admitting sin and confessing sin. Did you know that? When we admit sin, it's because we've been caught. Yeah, I did it. Like my children, you know, you find something broken. Well, who did this? I didn't. Oh, well, I did it. When we admit sin, it's because we've been caught and we're afraid. When we confess sin, it's because we're convicted and we're ashamed. When you confess sin, you judge it. You say, I couldn't do this thing. Oh, God, forgive me for doing it. The word confess in 1 John 1, 9 literally means to say the same thing. So it reads like this. If I say the same thing about my sin that God says about it, he'll forgive me. But if I come and excuse it, well, Lord, it was like this, because this and because that, there's no forgiveness. Forgiveness comes when there's honest confession, but oh, how wonderful it is when God forgives. So these are the four weapons the believer has. The inspired word of God, counteracts the devil's lies. The imparted grace of God counteracts suffering. The indwelling spirit of God counteracts pride. The interceding son of God counteracts accusation. Now, that's the weapon that we use to fight against the devil. But you know, there's something more involved than this. I'm sure you noticed in our previous studies the three targets the devil aims at. Did you notice that? With Eve, her mind... With Job, his body. With David, his will. Would you turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Perhaps you can quote these verses. Go right ahead and quote them with me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, underline that word bodies in your Bible, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, underline that word mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, underline that word will. Now there you have those same three words, body, mind, will. Satan attacked Job's body, Eve's mind, David's will. Now, what am I saying? Well, let me have somebody else say it better. Turn to the book of James. I hope you have your Bibles with you as we look at the good word together because it's so important that you look at the word of God. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Verse 7. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God... Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, these weapons we've talked about can only be used by the saint that has submitted himself to God. If you are not a surrendered Christian, the inspired word of God won't help you one bit. The imparted grace of God, the indwelling spirit of God, they will do you no good. Unless we are surrendered Christians... We cannot fight the devil. You can't fight the devil on his ground in your own strength. Men and women today need to know that the world is the dominion of the devil. Now, I know it's our father's world in one sense, but 1 John 5 says that the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. Friend of mine, we're living in enemy territory. 
We're not in heaven yet. The millennium hasn't come yet. We are in enemy territory. And Satan's out to get us. Now, James chapter 4, verse 7, tells us the secret. First submit, then resist. Now, if you try to resist without submitting, you'll fail. You try to resist the devil without submitting first to the Lord, you'll fail. Now, how do we submit to the Lord? That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. The devil wants to attack your body. So turn your body over to God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Turn your body over to the Lord. Just give it to him. The devil wants to attack your mind. Turn your mind over to the Lord. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The devil wants to get a hold of your will, so turn your will over to the Lord, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I'll share a little secret with you. Every morning, every morning, the Lord willing, when I wake up, the first thing I do is practice Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now, perhaps you've heard me say this before. This is now our 41st study in 1 Thessalonians, and I'm sure somewhere along the line you've heard me say this. In the morning, when I first wake up, I say, God, thank you for watching over me last night. Now take my body, take my mind, and take my will. And by faith, I turn my body and my mind and my will over to the Lord. Now when I do that, I'm practicing James 4, 7. I'm submitting myself to God. I give God my body, and then I get out of bed and say, Now, Lord, use this body today. Use the members of my body, my ears, my eyes, my lips, my hands, my feet. Use my body today, not for the devil, but use my body for your glory. Then I open my Bible because I want my mind to be controlled by the Lord. This is what Romans 12, 2 means. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, friends, our minds need constant renewal. The mind can become worldly. There, there are worldly-minded people. The mind can become carnal, fleshly-minded. It's so easy for the world to get into the mind. And so I find, first thing in the morning, I have to open up my Bible. This is the transforming power of God, the Word of God. And I say, now, Lord, as I meditate on your Word, as I read your Word, transform my mind. I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to be able to think God's thoughts so that when the devil throws a lie at me, I can detect it. When people come to their pastor to talk about problems, this has been my experience, most of the problems come because people believe lies. The devil's got some lie he throws at them. They're either believing some lie about themselves or about somebody else or about the world or about Jesus or the church. But when the mind is controlled by the word of God, the devil can't throw those lies at you. So I give my body to the Lord in dedication, and I open my Bible and give him my mind as I meditate in the Word of God. And I, I keep that meditation going all day long as I drive from place to place visiting, as I go to the hospitals to see people, as I visit in homes. I let my mind get filled with the Word of God. Some of you dear people fill your minds up with all kinds of trash. The things you watch on television make an impression on your mind. What you read in the paper, in magazines. I don't understand why Christian women want to read some of these magazines. I've called on people in hospitals who claim to be born-again Christians, and there they have stacked up these confessional magazines and these romance magazines, movie magazines. No Christian needs those. 
And man, who read some of these magazines that are just full of poison. And the music people listen to on the radio. Now, I'm warning you. You're going to fall right into the hands of the devil unless you open the Word of God daily and let the Word of God renew your mind. And then I get on my knees and pray because prayer is the surrender of the will. And the very first thing I pray about is, Lord, take my will. Just take my will. I don't want to be stubborn today. I don't want to be selfish. Take my will. And, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, it's not easy to pray that way because I have plans I'd like to work out. And I give my day to the Lord. I say, now, at 9 o'clock, I have to be here, and at 10 o'clock, and I have to do this. I pray about everything I have to do that day. I just go through my whole day. And, Lord, if anything you want to rearrange today, you go ahead and rearrange it. Because when you turn yourself over to God, then he is responsible for taking care of your body and your mind and your will. And this keeps us out of sin. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, if sometime during the day, and this often happens, I sin. Perhaps some thought crosses my mind that's wrong. Perhaps I say some word that's wrong. I have some attitude that's wrong. It's amazing, however, as you yield yourself to the Lord, how you get victory over these things. But suppose that sometime during the day I sin. Right away the devil starts accusing. And right away I turn to my advocate. Immediately I say, Lord Jesus, you died for me. I wasn't saved by my good works, and I can't be kept by my good works. And you've got a promise in your word that says, if I confess my sins, you'll forgive me. Now, Lord, I'm like Joshua there in Zechariah 3. I've got dirty garments on. And I'm not fit to bear your name, and I'm not fit to preach your word, but you've called me, and you've saved me. Now I confess my sin. Instantly I confess it. And instantly I claim God's forgiveness. Now, dear people, please don't think that when you confess your sin, you've got to be on probation for six months. God doesn't work that way. If we confess our sins, he instantly forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, when Peter confessed his sin, God forgave him. And the same apostle Peter, who so grievously denied the Lord, got up and preached a sermon in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 people were saved. He forgave Abraham when Abraham sinned, and still he kept his promises with Abraham. He forgave Moses. It's true Moses lost the blessing of the promised land, but he forgave Moses, and he still used Moses. You see, he forgave Jonah, and Jonah preached a great revival. The whole city was converted, spared them from judgment, and God will forgive you. Now, let's live this way. Let's not be ignorant of Satan's devices. I'm not going to repeat this material, but you understand it now. Satan is trying to trip you up. He will attack either your body, your mind, or your will to get you to sin. If he attacks your body, depend upon the imparted grace of God. If he attacks your mind, depend upon the inspired word of God. If he attacks your will, depend upon the indwelling spirit of God. Yield to God and he will give you victory. Submit yourselves unto the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, the Lord willing, in our next lesson, we'll go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we'll consider Paul's prayer for the Thessalonian Christians. I trust that this little detour we've been on has been helpful to you. If you'd like any of this material in print, you may find it in a little book I've written called Creative Christian Living which can be supplied from your Christian bookstore, Creative Christian Living. And this is Pastor Warren Wiersbe at Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky. Thank you for listening.